My name is Susie. I have three children, the youngest of whom struggles with anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. I never thought this could happen to me, and I miss the signs. Being a parent is really hard, but I'm here to help. I'm talking to other parents and experts to help you with the struggles that your kids may face. I want you to know that you are not alone and there is hope. I'm not a physician, therapist, or counselor. I'm just a mom. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain in them clouds I keep covering up the sun. On today's episode of Just a Mom, I have Stacy with me, and she is the mom of a daughter who has had um, some struggles with eating disorders, so we're going to talk about that. So thank you so much, Stacy, for being with me today. Sure. Thanks for having me. Well, tell me a little bit about your family, if you would, please. Sure. So we have four kids, and then my husband and I, the oldest is 25, then another, and he's a boy, then a son who's 21. And then a 19-year-old daughter and a 16-year-old daughter. So you're a busy mom, four kids, <laughs> and have had a lot of uh, mom experience. So tell me how things first started showing up and when you knew that maybe there was some trouble brewing with your daughter. Sure. So she's always been sort of an anxious person and concerned about whether she fits in. We would go to restaurants and she didn't even want to order her own food because she was afraid of what the waiter would think. But we just thought that was her being shy and needing some more time to develop out of her shell. So we didn't worry too much about it. We just encouraged Then she went through a couple of really bad years in middle school of sort of being singled out by some boys who wanted more out of a relationship than she did. And um, they ended up saying and sort of finagling the entire grade against her to the point that one even suggested she should kill herself, which was, you know, not not our favorite conversation ever. And simultaneously, she was getting worse and more stomach aches. We just could not figure out what it was. She was in constant pain. It would wake her up at night. It was all day at school. It was making it hard to concentrate in school. So we did all kinds of tests at Children's Hospital. We thought we had figured out that it was too many white blood cells in the lining of her um, intestines that was making it hard to not just digest food, but break down sugars. And so we had done all kinds of things. We'd gone gluten-free. We had taken medication. We had tried you know, hypnotherapy, we'd try mm. massage therapy, we'd tried um, acupuncture, and she might get relief for a little bit and then back at it. And um, just as she was starting her senior year of high school, she came to us and admitted that she had um, an eating disorder, and it was anorexia and then purging on top of it. So she was restricting food. She had been, and we knew she had gotten into being more healthy. A lot of that was actually prescribed by doctors, <laughs> mm. um, but she was, you know, taking it seriously and had been exercising a lot, but it didn't seem completely out of whack with what we saw other kids doing. And she finally came to us and admitted the degree of it. And I immediately, you know, put out all an APB to any medical professional I could find and got her evaluated and found out that her heart was failing um, mm. and that she really needed help. Originally, we thought we could do it outpatient. Mm-hmm. She could start her senior year typically. And it was immediately obvious that that was not what was 
necessary. So we started her senior year. Uh, basically, she was one or two weeks in to school, basically going to 10 hour a day in hospital care. Mm, wow. <clears throat> so when she came to you and told you this, did you have any idea? You know, I knew I knew she was she had been worried about whether she fit in. And uh, there was a time in middle school before the boy things happened where she had been a little heavier, but we had taken her off gluten at that time because she had asthma. And that really seemed to, she grew, it just kind of self-corrected. You know, sometimes we get wider before we get taller and Mm -hmm. it was middle school. So we had never been too worried one way or the other. And we thought sort of this fitness and healthy eating was more related to her trying to take care of herself and eliminate pain. Uh, So I hadn't gotten too worried about it. And I had noticed in the summer, because she was busy going into Mm -hmm. her senior year, I wasn't around her much in a bathing suit. She was mostly in sweats around the house. And when she came to me, it was right after the Labor Day holiday. And I had seen her in a swimsuit. And I thought, wow. I didn't realize she was that then. But around us, she would eat small meals and um, then, you know, Mm -hmm. take care of that after when no Mm -hmm. one was around. And I just really know I was I had no idea the extent Mm. of it. How did you feel when she came to you and told you that? Um, Stupid. I mean, just that I hadn't been paying attention. How could I have missed it? Because we're close. And she she talked to me a lot about her anxieties, about struggles with friends, about things going on. And it just was so disarming immediately. And, you know, then people would say, well, she looks good. She doesn't look sick. And, you know, all the things that you don't need people to say and then you'd take her to the doctor and they would want to weigh her and tell her how much she weighed which is absolutely the wrong thing to do mm-hmm. so there was a lot of learning just I, we went into crisis mode mm-hmm. truly I felt like a failed parent and we went into crisis mode and I just threw myself into absolute research when I wasn't working or mm-hmm. trying to care give her other mm-hmm. children in our family mm-hmm. I was researching and trying to figure out what did we need to do how could we help her as soon as possible because at that same time she was applying and auditioning for college. Hmm. So we had, you know, no time to lose for her health and no time to lose if she was going to go ahead and go forward with applying to college and going to college, which is what she really said she wanted to do. And how did you feel about that? I mean, at that point, when you're thinking, we just need to save her life, right? And yet she wants to go to college. How? Well, tell me about that. Right. So Tim and I agreed that for sure, we were dealing with the medical situation, but she kind of needed to believe that she was working toward a goal mm. to keep herself on track. Um, we had talked about gap year, we can slow things down, and it seemed to give her something to work for, to get herself better, to take care of herself, to correct the eating, to think about the things anyone about to do those things would need to do. And it was sort of our dangling carrot. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't trying to mislead her. Neither one of us were. We just said, we'll move forward with the plan and see what happens. You know, it was all going to be contingent upon her taking it seriously, getting treatment, getting all the professional help she needed, and then us feeling like 
she was ready. Mm -hmm. So she went into this treatment program. How long was she there? She was there for 12 weeks, 10 hours a day, and then reduced down to six hours a day and then down to a few days a week. So she would be there all day and then come home and try to get a whole day's worth of mm -hmm. homework in, get all these college applications wow. done, record her, her audition stuff. And it was seven days a week. It wasn't just Monday through Friday. So... It was serious business. I mean, it was sure. a full-time job. And there were nights when she would come home and she didn't want to do her evening snack, laying in the fetal position in my lap over a spoonful of peanut butter. Mm. And I slept on her floor. Mm. I sat inside the bathroom on the floor. We didn't leave her alone at all when she was at home. Mm -hmm. You said that she had always been an anxious mm -hmm. kid. And... Had she been diagnosed with anxiety or, or was that part of of this of the therapy that she was doing for her eating disorder? Did they address that as well? Right. Tell me a little bit about how those go together or went together. For sure. Her. So, no, not earlier than when we were going to Children's Hospital for the stomach problems. Okay. So up to that point, we just thought she was shy. She definitely was a pleaser, so she was more quiet, didn't want to stand out, wanted to comply with all the rules at school, at home, friends, didn't want to be the wave maker. So we just, again, kept thinking she would grow out of it. Once we were going through all of those tests for the stomach problems, we did do sort of some therapy there to try to help with relaxation because she started commenting about being anxious, having a hard time, and they thought that would help with sleeping because okay. she, she was waking up with pain. We all thought, okay, whatever we can do to relax the muscles for digestion or whatever needed to happen would be great. But she was having a hard time implementing that when she wasn't in session, and it was hard to get them scheduled, and you need really practice and quiet time for anything like that to really work. And you're talking about a girl who was, you know, charged to go to high school, wanted to be on honor roll, doing auditions for summer shows and school shows. And so we just didn't realize how awful it was. And once we did, then we started her on a low dose of medication for anxiety. And over the past couple of years, it's been sort of an up and down with the medication. So okay. she do, she does take some pharmaceuticals to try to help mm -hmm. curb the anxiety. It depends. You know, some weeks she's doing great and she's on course and feeling calm and, you know, getting mild exercise for stress relief, doing better with her eating. And other weeks, you know, tests will come up or an audition is coming up and she'll start listening to this really horrible voice in her head that wants to tell her that she's not worthy, that no one cares about her, that... People laugh about her behind her back, that she doesn't look good. She's not talented. She's not smart enough. And when she lets that noise get loud, then she can't sleep again, mm. and we're in a spiral. Does she go to therapy presently? She does. It's been a little more sporadic because mm -hmm. trying to get in regularly there. And we wanted to do telehealth with the person we had here who was an eating disorder trained therapist, but they wouldn't let her practice over state lines, yeah. which is kind of nutty when it's virtual. But I guess I know. should something become critical and life-threatening, I do understand sure. the legality of it. And we just have not found a, a steady you know, groove with that. She's, sure. she's getting help. And she, 
we are lucky that she tells us things. Like when that kid told her she should kill herself, she immediately came home and told me. Then I called his mother and suggested we should have coffee and that I was concerned maybe the kids were having a disagreement. I wanted to be sure my daughter didn't have something to do with that. So we did meet for coffee. And when I broached the subject, her answer to me was, he's having a hard year. He didn't make the A-team in basketball. Mm. And I thought, this conversation is going to go nowhere. Mm -hmm. So then I went to the school and tried to suggest that we watch some movies, that I would do it. I wasn't even asking the teachers. I was going to give them some free time kind of transformational, mostly Christian movies where either the protagonist identified as Christian, maybe wasn't fully living out his or her life or didn't know that maybe God was something he or she needed. And then there was a transformation of character in there. And it, the great thing about them, and I have about six of them, is that it was an opportunity for anyone to not feel threatened but see what's possible, whether or not God is the center of everything you're doing or you just want to believe that you know, the universe could be kinder. And um, I offered that. I offered to bring in extra help to facilitate discussion that I was going to pay for. It would have freed up the teachers, and I was told no. And instead, they did some anonymous thing where kids wrote down a bunch of notes anonymously about mean things boys had said. And then the boys were called out on it, and my daughter was blamed for all of it. You know, mm. it, it was just such an awful situation. So really, we, I, we were grateful that at this time, she was in eighth grade, and we were making a switch okay. the next year for school because we, we looked at even switching at semester her eighth grade year. But it was sort of like which kind of stress is worse, known stress mm, or unknown stress. Yeah, no place sure. is perfect. And coming that late felt like more than she wanted mm -hmm, to do. So sure. we just sort of nose to the grindstone mm. through the rest of that. Wow. Yeah. So going back to you, the, the treatment that you were seeking for her stomach problems mm -hmm. earlier, so that did they ever come up with a diagnosis for that? They cut it. Enosinophilia, okay. which is too many white blood cells in the lining of your intestines. But apparently that's a very loosely diagnosed thing when they can't figure out anything else to do. And okay. there was medication we were taking for that. But again, it worked only briefly. And and I think, you know, because I'm such a PhD in medicine, not oh, my, my, yeah, my final conclusion is that all along it was the eating disorder just perking and perking and percolating until finally it surfaced. And again, in that scenario, we were grateful she came to us. Mm, I think sure. she thought she could get through it just seeing a therapist once a week. And clearly that was definitely not the case. So, you know, her shock of needing to go into hospital like that was not the easiest navigation for any of us. And there were so many tears and lots of late nights. And um, ultimately, I think she's grateful for the time there. But you know, group therapy can be even more intense with your, for her anyway, with your depression, anxiety, because you're spinning off the feedback of everybody else's issues. Mm. And in the case of eating disorders, they can sometimes get competitive. So she would hear, she literally would hear other girls say all they did was starve themselves. They weren't also purging. And she came home in tears because she wasn't 
better at being anorexic than they were. Oh, wow. And I mean, how do you respond to that? Mm. I mean, I really had not no words. And on top of it, most of the girls at that point, there was a lot of movement, thank God. Most of them, you know, got a lot better over the course of time, but most of them didn't want to be there and didn't want to get better. Mm. They wanted to just live their life like that. And and she did want to get better, at least theoretically, <laughs> to go to college and try to have a shot at the next phase of her life, whether she understood what that meant to get better at that time or not. I, I'm certain she didn't, but but it helped get us moving in the right direction. I'm glad that you brought that up because that's something that every parent that I've talked to to this point, including myself, has seen and acknowledged in, in their child is, you know, I always said Will got better because he wanted to. And you're saying the same thing, that there was a motivation for that. And I think that that's a really important thing to, to note and that she asked for help. She can, And she had no idea what it was going to end up looking right. like, probably. She did not. And the fact that she was willing to do it, though, she wanted to get better. She did. And we're, you know, we're still on a journey. Mm-hmm. She's not fully recovered. And honestly, I don't know. I don't know that she will ever be fully recovered. I think she could easily have that challenge of arguing with the voice in her head for the for the rest of her life. But I believe and hope that she'll get strong enough in the toolkit she has that she can talk herself out of it. You know, like we have bad days. Hers can be very bad and very scary. But she knows mostly what she needs to do at those times. It's just quieting that voice long enough to reach in and grab what she knows she needs to do to help herself, even if that's calling me at two in the morning, which happens, you know, occasionally still. And I don't care. You know, I'd much rather sure. have that. Of course. <laughs> much rather have that as as scary as it is to see and hear mm-hmm. the phone ring. Mm-hmm. But at least it's her calling. Exactly. You. Right. And that's another thing that Will's therapist would talk about, you have to reprogram the tapes Mm -hmm. in your head. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what you're talking about is she's working on reprogramming those tapes in her head. Definitely. And for her, just every bite she takes is a victory. And, you know, being in college, Mm -hmm. having to discipline yourself to get to the dining hall or wherever is one step for kids that have been used to just grabbing at home or at school, which was a big change for her. And frankly, because we were desperate to really dig into the therapy and all of the things that came with it, we didn't give her a lot of freedom to choose her meals. We basically prepared most of it for her and set it in front of her because it was important that she gain every ounce she could. Because until her brain was nourished, it couldn't think straight to get through this therapeutic stuff we're talking about where she can talk to herself and work herself out of these sort of frustrating, overwhelming places she gets. And so it it was very new, her beginning to feed herself right when it was time to go to school. And then you get there and, you know, a load of the food is not tasty or, right. or you know, or for someone with an eating disorder and a lot of fear of many kinds of food, you know, pizza and pasta bar is not going to be her choice, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, willingly. So we're still working through it. She does a lot of meals, even though we bought the meal plan in her room. And sometimes that means carrots carrots and hummus or apples and peanut butter, which is 
not enough food. So we're working on it. You sure. know, she she knows that her continuation in college is conditional upon weighing in once a week, blind weight, and eating. So, you know, that's the carrot until she can choose to get to the point that she wants it enough for herself that we don't have to have sort of this contract. Hmm. Let's go back to when she was in therapy or treatment, I should say. Um, What was the timeline from when she came and said, I have a problem to when she started that 10 hour a day, seven days a week treatment program? Five days. Okay, so that was quick. Yeah, I was lucky. I I mean, I got on the phone and called anyone I knew who had ever had anyone go through this. And then and then there was lucky there was timing because first I had found an outpatient nutritionist and psychotherapist, and that was the direction we were going. And then after they got the full intake and saw her heart rate, they said, we can't legally take her on. She has to be hospitalized. So they helped advocate for me to get her a spot into this inpatient scenario much faster than I might have been able to on my own, which is really sad that's what it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm grateful and not really questioning the reasons for it. We, you know, for something terrible like this to happen, we have been very lucky in many ways mm. that sort of the doors were able to be opened at the times we really needed them. And that, she, and that just from the beginning, like you said, that she came to us and said, look, this isn't good. And this is what I've been doing. Mm-hmm. What was the lowest point for you as her mother uh the many the many nights when she couldn't sleep and I was on her floor you know sometimes holding her and her telling me that she didn't deserve to live Mm. and that she just it would have been easier to just keep the eating disorder and just the conversations to try to say you know, facts versus fiction. (laughs) The facts are the medical stuff we know, you know, the weight that I know that I don't tell her. And the fiction are the lies that you listen to in your head. And truly, it's, it's just terrifying. You could see, you could see in trying to talk her through times when the eating disorder voice had taken over because she couldn't and wouldn't make eye contact. It's almost like she was a shell of herself. So it would take sometimes hours to get her back to the point. It was almost like you might experience someone with bipolar Mm. or multiple personality where finally she would snap back and there'd be just enough of her there again that I felt she could hear me. And then there was something to fight for. But when she would retreat into her head, and I knew that she was listening to the lies, I I just felt like it would never end. Mm. And when you get on eating disorder support groups on Facebook or wherever, it it's terrifying. I mean, it can be a great sense of hope that there are people that get better and a place to sort of vent the hard things. But there is so much terror and so much... Um, just fatigue and sorrow and frustration and anger that sometimes I got to take a break from it, mm-hmm. you know, just to not not pretend, but tell myself that there's more to my life than just the struggle and and this one child who I love so much that I would do anything for to correct it. Um, and I just don't have all the answers, you know, all 
all the therapy, all the food is one thing, but then her choosing to execute it. And, and at that point, she clearly didn't choose the eating disorder, but she knows enough now to choose recovery mm. as hard as it is. And, and that is really what it has to continue to be her choice with mm-hmm. our encouragement mm-hmm. and support to, to want to get better. And that she has to own because I can't, right. I can't do that for her. Right. Mm. How did this affect the rest of your family, her illness? It's, it's been awful. I mean, my poor husband still doesn't fully understand, you know, things we shouldn't say in front of her that can be triggering. Like what? Like what? if he's eaten too much or if he hasn't been very active, he'll stand up in front of us and say, do you think I'm getting too thin or make a joke about himself? He's talking mm-hmm. about himself, but those are things we shouldn't be saying. And, you know, we all do that. We have right. a body shaming culture and he loves her dearly and does not want to be a source of triggering, but it's hard for him to grasp sort of all the clues. And, you know, we both have full-time jobs. There's only so much he as a business owner could dedicate to reading everything I read and be, being up all the night, nor would that have served our mm-hmm. overall family life very well. But there are times where I just find myself cringing and wanting to help, you know, reformulate words for him then we have a daughter younger than Isabel who you know is not exactly in the same place and struggles with her own body image and is not at risk right now of starving herself but worries all the time about whether she fits in and whether she can handle this and you know the hard conversations that she's had to have with her sister to say this is worth fighting for and you can do it. And, you know, she's been coaching her to write letters and then rip them up, you know, to people about things that make her hurt that are hard for her to get over. And she's like a little tiny therapist in our house. And that's not her job. Mm. I mean, she should feel free to be just being a high school student herself. So it's been a job for her. The boys, One's in college and one wasn't living at our house the, the whole time this was going on. So it's a little easier for them to detach, I think. But when she's around and they know she's struggling, they feel pain for her. They wish they could fix it. And I think it's very confusing for them. My understanding, and I don't know a lot about eating disorders, but it is a largely female problem. Is that right? You know, I think it's changing more and more. In fact, our our second son, one of his very good friends, when he played competitive baseball, ended up developing an eating disorder. And he he was on track to probably, you know, be recruited and play in the MLB. And he was never heavy, but he kept thinking if he could just be slimmer, he'd be faster. And he was strong, very strong, but he wanted to be faster. And he is he is still working on it. Ended up not finishing high school traditionally, ended up not in university traditionally, which he had hoped for and and probably never gonna play baseball. So I don't know. I, I do know that just two days ago I saw a story on Good Morning America where they were talking about a nine thousand students survey was just completed and forty seven percent of high school kids are complaining of depression, anxiety, and right. suicidal thoughts. Yeah. I mean, that's boys and girls. Uh-huh. And 
And also, Isabel's capstone project her senior year ended up being on eating disorders mm-hmm. and whether or not schools could develop curriculum for teachers to be more in tune with it. Because you, you find the most crazy things where a gym teacher or a math teacher will start doing a math problem about how, if you eat however many calories, how many do you have to burn mm. to blah, 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 blah. And it's a harmless equation on the surface of things but when you have girls in there or boys who are battling to get any ounce of food or calorie consumption going in their bodies and then they've got these triggering math problems not helpful and Mm -mm. you know some health classes or some fitness classes or some gym classes you're required to do things where when kids who are on restricted you know, activity because they can, you know, standing is too many calories for them to burn. Mm. Now, most of those kids are so sick that they're not in school. But nevertheless, if they're getting assignments sent home or what have you, there's no escaping it. And we sort of pushed it to the forefront right around the new, New Year's time with people in terms of going public because you could not, I could not take her to the grocery store. I could not turn a TV or a radio on to not hear ads for weight loss because it's new year's Mm, resolution time. And while I understand that, you know, America has an issue with obesity and heart disease and diabetes. There are also a lot of people struggling with other things and that constant conversation, super unhelpful. So, you know, it's just a journey. I'm, again, thinking just about the complexity of an eating disorder coupled with diagnosed and treated anxiety, because both are are Mm. mental illnesses, and how you balance that. Because, I mean, I'm assuming that they, you know, one feeds off of another. sure. Most people that have an eating disorder have depression and or anxiety, and many have OCD. Some have Tourette's. Okay. Some have self-harming. You know, it's sort of this endless Mm. circle of self-abuse in Mm. a matter of speaking. And having the anxiety opens you up, makes you more vulnerable to let that abusive voice inside your head drown out the positive things, no matter how loving your family is, Mm -hmm. no matter how kind and caring your friends or teachers or coaches or voice coaches or whatever you're going through are, it, it almost doesn't matter what the rest of the world is doing. If that voice is getting a hold of you Mm. and that, and that's what you're combating more than anything. When she went to treatment Did you talk about this with friends, your friends, with school, or was this something that you held kind of close to the vest? What was your experience there? At first, we didn't tell very many people. We definitely were full on with the teachers. It was her senior year, and she felt strongly she wanted to try to finish and do the college thing. So we, again, were trying to just, you know, stay in tune with that dream, knowing that there may come a time where we would have to pull her off track because it was necessary to get better. And we are fortunate that she was in a school environment where they really embraced her. Sadly, um, they had had plenty of students, uh, you know, before her go through this. So she was not their first student who needed this kind of extra understanding. And, and they were patient. Most teachers 
let her have extension on work, which was helpful given her limited hours of awake time Mm -hmm. to get it all done. So we were lucky in that regard. Before she went into treatment, she called her closest girlfriends over that Sunday before and to our house and said she needed to talk to them about something and let them know. And that her feeling was that that might preempt some of the gossiping that could go on behind her back if there was just speculation. And so they understood up front sort of what her schedule is going to look like. And most of them were pretty great about trying to reach out and be a touchstone occasionally. It was harder for them, I think, because they weren't really sure what her schedule was all the time or when she'd have access to a phone because in treatment she couldn't. Um, And then she'd come home to this, you know, pile of homework that Mm -hmm. they knew was an issue. So once she started earning, which you had to do, earning some free time, we tried to sort of pepper in some visits so she had some time with us some time with friends and small groups but I don't even think I completely fully appreciate sometimes how hard it still is for her to eat in front of other people because when you're doing that you're sure that everyone's watching you and evaluating whether you're eating too much or not enough or whether you look weird when you're eating or are you keeping up with them or are they going to say something about the calories are they going to say something about the portions uh, one day that we're out of a certain size dish at the program and she was used to a certain size bowl and then they had to give her a smaller bowl so that it looked like there was more food in there and she, oh, holy hat, you know, that was her undoing for that day. And we all had to assure her that they use the same measuring cup that the, just the bowl was smaller so it looked like more food. And um, She's pretty brave. After we knew holidays were going to come and she was phasing sort of out of 10 hours a day and would have some exposure to some family at holidays, we asked her what she wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So in a couple of cases, we would eat our meal beforehand and then go join family for a little bit of social time. We prepared them about let's not talk about how does she look. Let's not talk about, you know, food. Let's not insist that she try something. Mm -hmm. Let's just not. (laughs) So Mm. that mostly went over fine. You know, older, older people in the family had a harder time understanding what that meant, really. But for the most part, people were supportive. And then I just started feeling over time, sort of anxious and anger, angry, because, you know, if she had been diagnosed with cancer, People would have been bringing us casseroles, and you and I talked about this before, or mowing our grass or running errands. And this wasn't my thing to tell. It wasn't until Isabel felt comfortable telling more people that we did with her permission. We felt like that sort of normalized it for us some, but not a single person offered any of that to me. So you're dealing with already mental illness, so Mm -hmm. it's kind of social stigma Shh, you know, mm-hmm. don't talk about that. It makes people uncomfortable. They don't know what to say. And then, you know, you don't have the support, the the hugs, the physical connection with people. And it becomes this lonely thing of you sometimes feel like you're going insane. So you're tired because you're never sleeping because you're worrying. And I had to make sure I had certain food for her and enough of it and the right calories and then taking care of the other fam- rest family members mm-hmm. who weren't necessarily eating the same things and making sure, you know, no one was saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. And um, it was exhausting. 
It is exhausting. And you're so right. And again, that's another thing that every parent that I have talked to, to this point has said about the casseroles, you know, that if my kid had surgery or cancer or whatever, people would be doing all these things for me or for us and showing support. And that's a huge reason why we're doing this right now is so that we can hopefully help somebody who needs to hear what you have to say and that that person feels understood and that that they are not alone. Right. And that there is hope. Right. And then how do we help the rest of the people understand that we need help too? <laughs> well, we, we got to go one person I at a time. No, Right? Yes. It is, it so is, true. It is a definite battle, and, and that's the battle that we're trying to fight here. What advice would you have for parents who may be thinking that they have a child who's struggling in a similar fashion mm-hmm. as yours, or they're in the middle of this and they don't know what to do? All right. Reach out immediately. Do not wait. And if you're gonna, if you're gonna call a family practice doctor or a pediatrician, um, make sure you have the opportunity to speak to them privately beforehand to make sure that they understand where you're coming from. You know, do not let them weigh your child where your child could see it. Do not let them comment. I mean, we literally had even after <laughs> he knew she was in treatment, he literally said something about her weight not looking too low or something. And I thought, oh, my goodness, have you been paying attention at all? And he's a good person. He's just Mm -hmm. not a specialist. And it's hard to get into those places. And then read as much as you can, truly, um, truly. And, you know, I sit here saying what our journey's been. I am no expert. And just like so many things in life, one child's journey is not going to be identical to another. So you have to kind of know your kid. And if you, if your gut is telling you something's wrong, it probably is. Mm -hmm. If your kid is not eating meals at all with the family ever, and another common sort of clue for a lot of people is that their kids start wearing sweats all the time because you can't necessarily see the weight loss. Um, if they seem to go to the restroom right after meals and stay there a while or they're in the shower a long time, sometimes they're purging in the shower. Sometimes they're exercising in the shower. They, they don't need to be in the shower right after a meal, every meal. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, you, if you're noticing it, it's best to check and, you know, ask them first. And if all else fails, get, get them the physical because – The pulse rate, the heart rate, they can do blood tests will all be indicators even if even if the child is not going to be honest Mm. and you don't want to wait too long because the longer they have it, the harder it is. You referred to earlier that this is a journey Mm -hmm. and we all talk about this mental health journey because it's not like magically one day you take a pill or you go to the right therapy appointment and boom, it's fixed. Where do you feel like she is in the journey at this point? I would say she's about halfway up the hill. Um, Most days, luckily she's in a program she loves, has made great friends, is really feeling nurtured and inspired by her instructors. So that 
fills her heart with hope and belief in herself most days. But um, the eating thing is still hard for her. And if, if she's not eating, which she's not eating enough, I'm certain, it's really hard to keep your energy up to, to fight all of this. And if she starts getting in her head too much, she doesn't sleep well. So then it's that mm-hmm. endless cycle. cycle. And and she points out to us, which we know, that it is not linear. So it's going to be up and down. And I think at this point we are, you know, foot on the accelerator to get her home for the summer, spend the summer having her do some exciting things she's looking forward to, but also having, you know, some care for us to take some of the meal pressure off, talk to her about cooking. She needs to live in a dorm again next year, and so she'll be stuck in another year of meal plans. But there are ways that she can navigate that and not hate it as much. So we've started to create some meal plans off what we know is available and then things she can supplement herself in in the dorm. And we don't have a problem with her eating some of the, the snacks and meals there if it's enough. Mm-hmm. But I think her perspective of enough is not enough. Mm-hmm. So about halfway up the hill. Okay. There's work to do. And, and part of that is that she had work to do on herself in general, separate from this, just confidence and maturity. She is an old soul in many ways that sets her different from some of her peer group. But then the maturity to appreciate that that's a gift that will be okay over time, even though it may not be relevant with mm-hmm. all of her peers right now, is, is a hard thing for her to do. When did you decide that she was well enough to go away to college? The end of the summer, she she was weight restored plus, which is when you've gotten to the point that they say you need to be plus a little extra. And she seemed to be making more intuitive decisions about her eating and not as focused on it. Of course, there would be days where she was tired or distracted or anxious about something you could see sort of behaviors crop up, but she seemed to be handling it. And she was so ready in many ways for the training and the college experience that we felt we owed it to her and to ourselves to see how she could do. So our agreement was that she would blind way every week. The university would let us know and we would have regular phone conversation check-ins, but there, you know, one thing leads to another. The schedule gets busy on her end or ours, and there have been times where weeks have gone by, mm-hmm. and you know she couldn't get there to to have it done. And it's triggering, you know, to know that she's going in, and other people know about this magic number on the scale, and she's not allowed to know. And then they not only know, but they're going to secretly tell me about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that most of the time she's okay with it, but there are times where when she's feeling anxious about other things, that just eats away at her. So there's more work to do, and I'm I'm just hoping with time, with brain development time, with enough nutrition, that we'll keep chipping away. We'll see. If this summer she slides back, then we may have to think about a different plan. A different plan is a good way for you to say that because... I think on this mental health journey, one thing that I have learned, and, I, and you tell me if, if you agree with this or not, is that most of the plans that we had for our son, we had to kind of reframe oh, yeah. things um, based on the mental health 
definitely issues. Yes. What do you think about that? Most definitely. I mean, she's understood very really that at any given time, the jig is up and she may have to come home. And so that feels really controlling to say out loud that in a way, like I said earlier, the carrot is dangling in front of her. I don't know that just staying home and dwelling in this scenario, she would be any better at this moment because there's that feeling 19 year old young woman with, you know, dreams mm-hmm. and good student, you know, performing aspirations to cage her in our house and do nothing but think about this either wasn't helping. Mm-hmm. Um, she needs to have a belief that there's more to life than this disorder and that she can operate in life even with this disorder while she's working to get better. So we just constantly send text messages with uplifting phrases. Sometimes it's prayers. Sometimes it's just, you know, every bite is a victory. And that's all I say. And it's all I know how to do, you know, aside from move there with her, which would be about the last thing she or I need Mm, (laughs) right now. Or, you know, even even if the therapy situation were a little more normal, you can only talk about it so much. At some point, it's, again, that live, just go out and live it and choose to, you know, journal when you need to, listen to the right kind of music when you need to, find a friend, take a walk, eat the food, whatever. There are so many scenarios, and, and she knows them all. I mean, she went with this toolkit of things that she practiced, that we've practiced together, that we continue to encourage. And and then we can't do that work. You know, she has to do it. She has to authentically breathe through it and move through it. And we we believe she wants it. We we see her trying very hard. It's just some days not so easy. Mm-hmm. What are some coping mechanisms that you have had to take care of yourself through this journey? Right. A lot of yoga, mm-hmm. <laughs> usually in the morning. And then I hurt my bicep, and oh. then I broke my hand. <laughs> oh, no. So I was oh. out for a minute. So then I drank some wine. Mm. <laughs> Not always a good choice. <laughs> um, and I, too, have journaled and done some writing, sometimes calling a friend. I, I try to take walks. And... You know, my husband and I have a pretty good relationship, and sometimes it's just venting to him and saying, I don't need you to say anything. And you can pretend to listen and not really hear me, but I need to get it out, Mm -hmm. you know. And that isolation thing that this can do so well to not just the kids going through it, but all of us who care about them is not good, not good. And I find that the days where I don't do the things to take care of myself – I am super crabby with our younger daughter or impatient with my husband and I'm I'm just hurting everybody when when I don't. So I really do try to make time. There are weeks that didn't happen, but that's life. And do you have friends that you talk to about this? I mean you you referred to or insinuated earlier in our conversation that, you know, there's a lot of judgment and <laughs> right and all, but do you talk to people about the struggles or do you? Some, some of it. There comes that point where you don't want to be the parent with the sick girl, you know, and 
you don't want people to think every time they see you coming, that's all you have to say. Because that can be overwhelming for other people, especially if you're not going through it directly, or even for friends of mine who've had this journey, they're exhausted by the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do. I just try not to overload the same people. <laughs> mm. The other thing I've started doing is taking my glass recycling to the ripple glass <laughs> container and just chucking every single individual bottle in there so I can hear it crack while, you know, while other people are gently dumping their mm-hmm. thing in. And just that act of you know throwing something that isn't going to hurt anyone else. It's there to be recycled and smushed is very therapeutic. So when I don't feel I have another outlet, that's that's another helpful thing. Mm-hmm. You're not the first person to, to tell me too. about breaking bl- glass as a coping mechanism. So it really is. It's, it's And you wouldn't think that hearing it, it sounds so violent. I swear no. I'm not a serial killer. <laughs> oh, no, no. It's just... But it just that motion, mm-hmm. I think, and I, I think it's Brene Brown who talks about moving through moving through your stress, moving through your depression, that if you can't physically and mentally move through it, how can you expect to get beyond it? And so mm. something about activity really is helpful to me. Mm-hmm. And that noise and the whole thought of it, knowing, of course, that it's not going to hurt anyone, right. um, really helps mm. me. Are you at the point yet that you don't think about her and her illness all the time? No. No. I think we've got a ways to go. we got a ways to go. Mm-hmm. Well, and I hope that that comes for you sooner rather than later. Thank you. Thank you. Because I remember that. Mm-hmm. Any so. other closing thoughts mm. or? Any other? Not really. I just closing appreciate thoughts you doing or this. advice, um, like you said, bringing bringing a forum for people to not feel alone, um, and to get different perspective because you know parents don't all receive this the same way, just like our kids don't respond to it all the same way. And comparison is so easy to do and so dangerous. Oh, yeah. And you and that's the other thing about relatability, right, with the parents. So talking to parents whose kids aren't going through it or even who have or are or none of us are dealing with it identically so there's a danger in that right you don't want them you don't want to make other people uncomfortable you don't want them to judge you or your child it's just lonely mm-hmm. so this is sort of a safe place someone could turn it on listen as long as they can mm-hmm. turn it off come back to it good idea mm. thanks well, for it that is that is certainly the hope um, for this whole uh, Just a Mom podcast is that some people who need to hear what a lot of really awesome, brave parents are saying uh, will hear it. So I really appreciate you joining me today, Stacy. Sure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or ideation, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. Once you smile again, take away that pain and clouds that keep covering up the sun.
I want to see you smile again Take away that pain in them clouds I keep covering up the sun If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please share this with your friends and anyone you think may find these interviews helpful. Thanks again for listening to Just a Mom.